Do you please turn with me to the book of John? We're in John chapter 9. And we'll be working through the entire chapter. John chapter 9, verse 1, and we'll be reading down to the end of the chapter. John 9 is probably my, my favorite chapter in the Gospel of John. So John 9, verse 1. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the beggar? The, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled them, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who, may, who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for we thank you for this, this story of a man born blind and how we see he had received more than just his physical sight. Father, we pray that you would illumine to us your word. Open our eyes so that we may see Jesus Christ in the passage. Help us, Lord, we pray that you would remove any distractions that may be in our hearts and our minds so that we may be focused, so that we may hear what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the running, so since the middle of chapter 8, there's been this, this theme of light, more like a contrast between light and darkness, but specifically light in the Gospel of John, and it continues to weave in and out of chapter 8 and into chapter 9. And chapter 9 is the conclusion to this theme of light. Everyone, in a sense, has, a, has an idea of what it means to be in the dark, right? Whether it's because uh, somebody's kept a secret from you or there's information that somebody's withholding from you for whatever reason, so in that sense, you're, kind of, you're not in the loop. You're kind of kept in the dark. You, there's information that you feel like you should know, but you don't know for whatever reason. And in a physical sense as well, we know what it is to be in the dark, whether it's in a dark room, in a dark house, or walking in a dark alley, or driving at night, right? We are in the dark, and in the darkness, well, it's, things are not as visible or as clear as they would be if they were in the, in the day. But there is a much different darkness, and that is a darkness that comes from not seeing at all which is the situation of this man who was born blind. Right? He could not see. His life was literally shrouded in darkness, even though during the day it's bright out. And we can, I mean, we have a sense of what it's like. If you've ever tried closing your eyes and walking, well, then you get a sense of what that's like. It's almost, nearly, it's almost impossible to figure out your way around unless you're, you become accustomed to it and you're, you've, be, you've been trained or you've learned to use your other senses in order to find your way around. But we can always just open our eyes and we can see where we're going and what we're doing. But that wasn't the case, obviously, with 
a man who was born blind. And in his story, we see a lot of different things. But what we see, I think the passage illumines for us, is that there is a greater darkness, much more profound darkness than that that comes from uh, being born blind or not being able to see. But in his story, we see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things, the first thing that we see from this story is man's intrinsic condition. So, beginning the passage, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this question that's asked by the disciples is an incredibly important question, in part because it has everything to do with the fallen condition of the entire world without exception, and also because the progression of the story finds its beginning in the answer to this incredibly important question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Or another way to restate that question is, is sin directly related to present-day suffering? At this time, it was an accepted doctrine or dogma that present suffering is, in fact, directly related to present suffering or related to personal sin. So it believed, in this case, that a person could actually sin in the womb. I mean, if they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they had a category for a person actually being able to sin before they're actually born. And that's kind of a, a strange thing. Uh, I don't really know how that works. And one way, and as I was studying the passage, one example that may be how the typical Jew might have thought about it is that if, say, an expecting mother went into a pagan temple and worshipped a pagan god, which is considered sin because it is idolatry, well, then it was also understood that the child in her womb was also passively participating in that act of idolatry. But... Whatever the case may be, that sin correlates to suffering is considered to be true, and this is what was accepted and taught in, in the synagogue, and hence why the disciples asked this question, this, this man sin, or his parents, it was the fault of his parents or his fault that he was born blind. And so clearly, they haven't understood the story of Job. So in a sense, they are no different than Job's miserable comforters. Now, I don't know if, if, uh, if you've ever read the book of Job, but Job's friends were convinced that he must have sinned in some way. Otherwise, he would have not lost his property. He would have not lost his health. He would have not lost his children. Job, you have sinned. You have done something that you need to repent of, and this is why you are suffering today. But if you read through the book of Job, you have insight that the miserable comforters didn't have. Where you read that Job, that God actually called Job or considered Job a righteous and blameless man, and that he was permitted to suffer in order to show that even in poverty and in sickness, that Job would never become an apostate, that he will never abandon the faith. And at the end of the story, he was vindicated. He was incredibly blessed, showing or proving that his suffering was not because of personal sin. So no, 
Sin is not related to, or suffering is not related to personal suffering. So you can take comfort in that so that if you do suffer or you have suffered or you are suffering today, it is not because of something that you did or didn't do. It's not because you sinned and Lord is, is exacting some kind of retributive punishment towards you. But the reason why we all do experience suffering is because of sin. It is because of sin that there is suffering in the world at all. Sin not only condemns us as guilty before God and deserving of his wrath, but sin also brought along with it pain and turmoil, anxiety, distress, depression, addictive patterns and tendencies, violence, distress, rage. And sin also brought forth death. James 1.14 tells us, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So why is the world such a dark and scary place? It's not because of God. It's because there is sin in the world, sin in our own hearts. And death is a consequence of sin which also keeps the world from becoming worse than it could be. Because imagine if you and I were immortal or could live even just a few centuries long. So again, personal sin is not directly related to present suffering, but sin for sure is the reason why we all suffer. If there was never any sin in the world, then we would never suffer. Which... I don't remember thought, thought about this, but does sin ever make you angry? Thinking about what sin brings forth into the world, anxiety, distress, depression, anger, violence, all these things are a result of sin. One of the things that we should be feeling towards sin is absolute anger towards sin. We've all been affected by sin in some way, shape, or form. We've seen people deteriorate into addictive patterns. We've seen sin ruin marriages and pull people apart. We've seen, we've seen what sin does into our own lives, maybe what it's doing to your life even now. What I think Christians need today is a vibrant and righteous anger towards sin. The Puritan John Owen said that, he says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's ultimately what sin is after. Sin is looking for your death. And so rather than trying to, to cuddle with sin, kind of like uh, trying to cuddle with, uh, we, kind of, we have a tendency to treat sin like a, like a little cub that we, that we lie in bed with and cuddle with at night and snuggle up with. But sin is actually a roaring lion that is seeking to devour you. Imagine trying to cuddle up with a lion right? It's, it's, it's going to devour you. And that's what sin is. That's what sin is aiming for. So the appropriate response is not to play with sin and coddle with sin, but to slay sin. As Romans 8 tells us, as Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 tells us, put to death, therefore, immorality, evil desire, and so on and so forth. Our intrinsic condition is that we are sinners born in sin. Psalm 51.5, the psalmist says, In sin did my mother conceive me. 
The psalmist is not talking about being born out of wedlock. Instead, he is stating a truth that the scriptures teach and that we all need to accept, and that is that two sinners make only more sinners. We are all born in sin. Not just for the record, kind of an aside, just for the record, I don't believe that a child who, is, uh, who has yet to be born or a child who has born but is still in, in infancy, if they, God forbid, if they, if they suffer and they pass away, that they are destined to an eternal separation from God. I don't think that's the case. I don't think the scriptures teach that. There isn't yet this age of accountability that they've reached yet, and so I don't think that it guarantees them eternal separation from God. And part of the reason, there's several passages I can point you to, but one is David himself, when he lost his child, he says that he, has a, he had a confidence that he will see the child again. But anyways, what Psalm 51 tells us is that man's intrinsic condition is that he is a sinner, which then results in blindness. The blind man's story is a living illustration of our intrinsic condition, that we are sinners who are born blind. And this is not, however, a, a blindness of our physical eyes, but a blindness of our hearts. This is spiritual blindness that, that covers our understanding, our knowledge, our perception, our will, and our hearts. Blindness means that you interpret the world the way that you see fit, according to your understanding, according to your own opinions, that you accept lies as truth. Blindness means that you take sin and you call it good, that you take sin and you celebrate it as something wonderful and great. That's what blindness is. Blindness believes that we simply just live and die and that nothing happens at all. Blindness believes that what can be true for me can also be true for you and that we can both say that, and that we can, I can say that, that the sky is green and that you can say that the sky is blue and that we can both be right. Right, that doesn't make any sense. Blindness of the heart does not live for God, does not care for God, does not worship God, does not love God. And blindness of the heart also means that, that it's okay with that. Ephesians 4.17 says, Now this I, I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, or in other words, as unbelievers, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, and to practice every kind of impurity. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. That's what blindness does. There's not even a care to seek for God. The further and further man moves away from God, the more profound his blindness becomes. The man in the story had a sinful nature that resulted in a blindness of the heart, while at the same time he was also physically blind, but not related to personal sin, nor that of his parents. But his blindness is a result of sin, because if there was no sin at all in the world, then there would be no such thing as physical blindness. But Jesus draws near to the poor sinner, and he gives him his sight, and we'll come back to that a little later. But for now, in the passage, the man has been healed, and then he's delivered up to the Pharisees for questioning. And then what we see in this next part is that common sense is actually greater than, this, than expansive knowledge. 
So as soon as the man is healed, he instantly becomes a celebrity. Everybody's asking about him. Who, who healed you? How did this happen? Where did this happen? Are you actually the blind beggar of our neighborhood that we all know? And he kept, says that he kept saying, I am the man. I am the man. That is me. I am he. So then he's brought to the Pharisees for questioning, in part because he was healed on the Sabbath, but also, more importantly, because of the manner by which he was healed. Jesus made mud on the Sabbath and healed the man. And according to the traditions, well, that was considered work and considered a violation of the Sabbath. And then from there, Jesus kind of disappears from the, from the narrative. He's there in the beginning, and then he's aired at the end. And so most of this narrative is about the blind man and the questioning of the Pharisees, which is kind of the unique elements of the chapter. But in the dialogue, we see how blind the Pharisees are and how the giving of the physical sight to the blind man has illuminated to him much more than just the physical world that he once before could not see. The first thing we see in this dialogue between the Pharisees and the blind man is what they conclude about Jesus. The Pharisees or religious teachers interpret the Messiah through the lens of the law. So one of the questions they might ask themselves is, how do we know, how do you know that the Messiah is here? Well, he keeps the law. Right, that, I could accept that. That, that actually makes sense. Right, because if somebody is running around claiming to be the Messiah, but it says, hey, commit adultery. Hey, lie to your spouse. Hey, steal from your neighbor. Well, then you kind of know, okay, this guy's, this guy's just a whack job. There's no way that the Messiah would be saying these things. And so they interpret the Messiah through the lens of the law, and they look at the law, and it says, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. And they consider Jesus making mud on the, on the Sabbath as a breaking of the Sabbath, and so therefore they consider him a sinner. But Jesus doesn't break the Sabbath, but Jesus fulfills the intended function of the Sabbath, that is to glorify God and also to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was doing both in the healing of this man who was born blind. But even the Pharisees themselves, it tells in the passage, had divided opinions about Jesus. Some say that he was a sinner, but then there were others who said, well, how can a sinner do such signs? And then that kickstarts the investigation. So I'm sure you've all heard of stories or perhaps seen a TV show or in a movie where, where the investigators, prior to having any conclusive evidence, have already come to a conclusion about a suspected, uh, suspected witness. And then it becomes about looking all the evidences and either seeing how it points to this particular individual or making the evidence point to this supposed criminal that they have convinced is the one who committed the crime. Right, so it's kind of, in that sense, it's an unbiased investigation. It's an unfair investigation. This is what we see here in the passage. They've already made their conclusions about Jesus, that he is a sinner, and now they're looking for all the evidences to point to what they have already declared about Jesus. So first, they try to figure out if this man is lying. So they call his parents to see if he's telling the truth, kind of their, their first and only witnesses. And they ask the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? Yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. And so there goes that, right? That's over. And then they call the man back for questioning. So the Pharisees are convinced that there's an element to the story that this, that this guy is not telling them. He's withholding information. So they tell him, give glory to God. Or in other words, tell us the truth. We know that Jesus is a sinner. What are you not telling us? What are you lying about? And there are many people in the world that no matter how persuasive your words might be, no matter how much 
evidence you put before them, they will always, always deny Jesus and they deny the existence of God to the day they die. Right? It's not pray that they don't, but it goes to show just how unbreakable this blindness is. It's sort of a, you might consider it a part of the DNA. Blindness is in the bloodstream, and, and, and the heart pumps it throughout the entire body, pervading and even feeling, uh, filling the, the deepest recesses of our hearts and our consciousness. When you have a fever, it's because there's some viral disease or infection in the body, and then you develop symptoms, right? You, you cough, you have a runny nose, you sneeze, you might get a, a fever, you might get chills, right? Those are all symptoms, and you start taking medicine, but medicine doesn't eradicate the infection. Medicine only treats the symptoms. Spiritual blindness is a condition that cannot be cured by modern medicine. Spiritual blindness is a condition that cannot be cured by dieting and exercise. Spiritual blindness cannot be cured even by good works. Spiritual blindness is a condition that is intrinsic to every single person and man does not have the ability or the capability to, to cure himself. The only way, the only remedy is to be made new, completely new. And we get closer to that remedy as we see how this healed man comes to some important and some logical conclusions. The Pharisees were masters of the Scriptures, right? They have learned the Scriptures from a very young age and memorizing the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures like the back of their hand. But in this situation between the Pharisees and the blind man or the healed man, we see that there's something greater than the knowledge that they possess, and that is common sense. The Pharisees are convinced that Jesus is a sinner, but the healed man says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They then ask him again how this healing happened, to which he responds, I told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I love the boldness with which this man speaks to these religious teachers. He says he's kind of putting them in their place. You guys think he's a sinner, but look, he healed me. We know that God does not listen to sinners. If Jesus was a sinner, then God would not listen to him. If God didn't listen to Jesus, then I would not be standing before you as one who has recovered his sight. Right, that's just, just through common sense, he's drawing, to, he's coming to the right conclusions. I don't know who this man is who healed me, but he must come from God because we know that God does not listen to sinners, which is something that the scriptures affirm. Job 27, 8 tells us, what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Psalm 5.4 tells us, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Psalm 11.5 tells us that the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Those passages tell us that the Lord is separated 
from wickedness and violence. And even the prayers. It doesn't mean that God may not ever be gracious in his mercy, grant them what they desire, but it means that God is not inclined to respond to their prayers. Not as the way that he would be as those who are belonging to him as beloved children. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. If Jesus was not from God, if Jesus was not a worshiper of God, if Jesus did not do the will of God, then God would not listen to him, and then Jesus could do nothing. So the man makes some profound conclusions concerning the person who healed him just through sheer common sense. And his conclusions are so profound because they are life-altering, potentially. The man is leading us to the cure that's needed, and that is that intrinsic blindness requires a new set of eyes. So then after having been cast out, Jesus goes to him, he finds him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The man is cast out of the synagogue. Jesus, hearing this, he seeks him and he finds him. And the man, again, doesn't know much about the person who healed him. He knows that he must have come from God, and that's it. But he's really, really, really close to having the full understanding and picture of this person who healed him and having a spiritual sight given to him. And aware that Jesus makes plain to him that he is the Son of Man. And that comes from Daniel 7.13. Where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days, and that is God, and was presented before him. And to him, to this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in this conversation, notice that the man does not ask Jesus, what does he mean by Son of Man? And it's because he already understood what that meant. The Jew that, in that day would have understood that that title of son of man. The son of man is a divine figure who comes in the form of a, of a man who is giving dominion and glory and splendor and is giving the authority to rule over the nations. And so Jesus identifies himself as that son of man from the book of Daniel. And Jesus says to him, it is he who is speaking to you. And it says that the man put his faith in him. He believed in him. Now that he, and, and now he understands the full picture of Jesus and who it is, the person who healed him. And herein lies the answer to man's intrinsic condition. If anyone would be cured, he must believe in Jesus. John 1.4 tells us that in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 1 John 1.5 tells us, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. 
So Jesus is the light that overpowers the darkness of our blindness, not by giving us medicine, not just by treating us the symptom, but by forgiving us of our sins, by cleansing us of our sins, and causing us to be born again with a fresh set of eyes. John 3, 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 1, 3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Intrinsic blindness can only be eradicated through divine illumination, which causes us to be born again. And then with the man who was healed, you also can proclaim that I once was blind, but now I see. With the eyes of faith, you're giving the eyes of faith. With the eyes of faith, you can now see the Savior. With the eyes of faith, you can see the one who died on the cross for your sins. With the eyes of faith, you can see the blessings of God that are promised to you, that are guaranteed to you. With the eyes of faith, you can see the joy that is coming, even though your life is clouded, shrouded in suffering. With the eyes of faith, you can see the day that is coming when you will be given a new and glorified body that will no longer want to sin, that will be impervious to sin, that will be impervious to disease and decay and to age and to, and to, and to sin. With the eyes of faith, you can see the day that is coming when you will see Jesus Christ face to face. You will behold your Savior. Do you... Is that hope in you? Do you long for that day? That's what the eyes of faith enable you to see. I know I get that it. it can be hard, right? Because we live in a day and age where, uh, where we just want instant gratification, right? What we want, we want it right now. But Jesus promises us that if we will wait, if we will endure to the end, if we will just persevere, then there are these internal and incredible blessings that are waiting to be received. Just hold out. You will just wait. That's why we need the eyes of faith, because the eyes of faith is what gets us there, the day that we will actually see these promises, where we see these blessings face to face. That's what divine illumination enables you to see. And it always results in worship. It says the man believed in him and he worshiped Jesus. Right? We can't repass that. Divine illumination always results in worship. Why was the man born blind? It's not because of his sin or the sin of his parents, but he was born blind to display the work of God. He was born blind for the glory of God and he was healed for the glory of God. So his life is a living illustration of the sinful human condition, what also pointing us to the answer, and that is found in Jesus Christ, who is the answer for our unbreakable blindness. And his response is so important because worship, in the true sense of it, was impossible for him without fully understanding who this was that healed him. Because God had determined that he will be glorified when people worship the Son. And that is what this man does. Anyone who has been given sight worships the Lord Jesus with their life, in contrast to the Pharisees who remain in their blindness. If they would confess their blindness, then they would have hope of salvation. But because they won't, their guilt remains. 
Guilt is related to blindness, which is the result of sin, and guilt comes from sin. Guilt is a legal declaration. You may not feel guilty, but it doesn't mean that you're not. Guilty doesn't care about your feelings. It is not determined by your feelings, but it's declared by God. Guilty because your sins offend God. Guilty because you do not honor God or give thanks to him. Guilty because you do not love God. That's what it is to be blind. But you can be declared innocent and righteous and receive the eyes of faith by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ if you have yet to do that. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. And you'll be cleansed of all sin. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll have eternal life. You'll be given the Holy Spirit of God who is a guarantee of the future blessings that the Lord will hold out for you. You'll be given the eyes of faith to see that day. And then you too, as this man did, you will worship the Lord. So knowing what we've been saved from, knowing how bad our condition used to be, our response should always be to worship the Lord Jesus Christ with our life. So John 9 presents to us a living illustration of what it means to be born again. We were once sinners, walking like blind men, but the Lord drew near to us, and his light shone upon our hearts and conquered the darkness of our hearts so that now we can see. That's what the Lord has done for us, and the only and the appropriate way to respond is to worship him. We may not know all there is to know about God and Jesus Christ, but we will spend all of eternity knowing God. But the one thing we can be confident about today, the one thing that we can loudly proclaim today is that we, that you were once blind, but now you see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the eyes of faith. Lord, we are not always, or maybe more often than not, we are just not good at waiting. And because we are given to instant satisfaction, we don't perhaps long to see Jesus Christ face to face. We may not long as we should to, to see the heavenly rewards that await us, to see the day when you return and establish your kingdom. God, but I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we may long for that day, so that we will hold out for that day. Give us the eyes of faith so that we may not live for the here and now, so that we may not be given to sin, but instead we may live disciplined and self-controlled lives, holding out for the future blessings that await us. And we thank you, Lord, because even when we do sin, when we confess our sins to you, your word tells us that we are forgiven. So I pray that if there are any sins that we are holding on to this morning, Lord, may we repent of them this morning. May we confess them to you. May we trust in Jesus and in his word that tells us that we are forgiven. And may we then be given the strength to continue to move forward, to continue to endure until the very end, till we see our blessed Savior face to face.
We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for being our Savior, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.